This is Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. We continue our coverage on food insecurity in Monroe and Brown counties. In today's installment, WFHB News spoke with Executive Director of Feeding America, Emily Weikert Bryant, about food insecurity across Indiana. Weikert Bryant started off by explaining the fundamentals of food insecurity. I'll, I'll start with you know what food insecurity is and, and where we're seeing it and what the numbers are. But food insecurity is essentially the lack of consistent access to enough food for every person in a household to live an active, healthy life. That can look like eating lower quality or less expensive food. That can look like eating fewer meals. That can look like not having the resources to, to go to the grocery store to get what you need or not knowing that tomorrow you will have those resources. In Indiana, the, the most recent data we have is from 2021. Um, and keep in mind that this is all sort of really end of the pandemic when there were a lot of resources still coming for families. So, you know, those numbers are going to look different as we kind of move further out. But the food insecurity rate was about almost 11% for individuals in Indiana, but only 39% of those households lived, uh, had incomes below the income threshold for, for SNAP or the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is 130% of the federal poverty level. So that means that roughly 60% of folks who identified as food insecure weren't able to access the bulk of the federal nutrition assistance programs. They may still be able to access WIC, which is slightly higher, uh, free and reduced lunch or, or reduced price lunch is higher, and the USDA commodity food that our food bank members distribute through pantries in every county, the income eligibility for that is, is at 180%. So it's, it's higher and there are options out there as well as the charitable sector. But SNAP is really the most basic essential cornerstone of the federal nutrition programs and the income eligibility guideline for that is is relatively low at 130 percent the other piece you talked about it was was assets and so in indiana uh, the asset limit is five thousand dollars for a household something that we are actively working on to to change and in many cases sort of the essential assets are exempt your house is exempt your vehicle is exempt if you're driving it to work if you have two people employed in the household and you have two vehicles those are both exempt, but if you have that hobby truck, that's not exempt. If, you know, and if you have other things beyond um, what are easily liquidated, um, that household will be ineligible, even though what they have may not be, you know, something that they are able to, to access. And also it's obviously counterproductive to wanting a household to be able to save for those rainy days or for those things that could knock them right back into food insecurity if they weren't able to provide a little bit of savings. So the other thing that you talked about was, was college student food insecurity, and that's something that we've been working on as well. There was a bill that we've worked with Representative Earl Harris on for the last couple of sessions that unfortunately hasn't received a hearing, but looking at what college campuses are already doing, which in many cases is already having a pantry on site or already connecting students to other resources, but providing universities a sort of a structure to work with them and providing them some assistance to do that. So if you have students on campus, and really every campus would, who are food insecure, is there a pantry on site? And if not, how would we connect that person to someplace nearby? Um, is, that, is the person or the family eligible for SNAP benefits, which is trickier when you are a full-time student? 
Um, do they have other resources available to them? Um, are there other programs that we should be bringing in? And how can we raise the profile of the fact that there are students in higher education who regularly don't have the food they need for an active, healthy life? So there's a lot of different pieces that you touched on just from what you have seen uh, mm -hmm. that are, are all being impacted by food insecurity in sort of different spaces. Weikert Bryant then walked through some of the root causes of food insecurity, saying that at the end of the day, it's a symptom of poverty. Generally speaking, food insecurity, the, the root cause is poverty. It's, it's about income and whether that household has the resources they need. And so if someone is experiencing food insecurity, if they don't have the resources they need, whether it's through a federal nutrition program or through charitable assistance or through income or through SNAP benefits, that's not going to happen in a vacuum. So what we see most often manifesting is in people needing assistance with securing food for their families is the fact that their resources are limited and typically the other expenses for that household don't have the kind of flexibility, don't have the assistance program. So, you know, rents or, or mortgages, there are programs for that, but it takes much longer. Utility bills, again, there are programs for that, but it, it usually takes a longer process. Um, you know, transportation costs, um, you know, other utilities, other essential needs, those are typically going to come first for a family that is trying to budget with limited resources. And so we know that clients who are, are coming to visit a food bank or a pantry are coming because that might be the easiest point in their monthly budget to seek assistance and, and get it to be able to keep their family afloat. Uh, there are many things that contribute to uh, food insecurity that aren't, it, they're not poverty related, but they're certainly income related, right? So a loss of a job, unemployment, mm -hmm. um, the change in your family structure. If you are now raising, you know, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, um, things that, that are changing the number of people in your household, um, things like medical expenses, the amount of medical debt uh, that, that folks have and how that impacts their ability to access resources that they need for other aspects of, other aspects of life. Having your car break down, you know, it's, it's difficult to buy a reliable vehicle these days for what used to be a reasonable price. And so, you know, if that's your mechanism to get to your job, if that's your mechanism to get to school, you all of a sudden have a, a massive hole in what you need to, to continue to get by. So there are things that do contribute, illnesses, um, you know, things like that, that, that will contribute to food insecurity. But generally speaking, it's, it's whether the family has the resources they need across the board. On a recent Reddit thread, a Bloomington resident asked other locals if they knew of any good places in town where they could purchase two meals for under $10, stating, quote, I'm really tired of cooking at the moment, but also broke, end quote. Also, they said they knew they could find something in their $10 budget at Domino's or Taco Bell, but wanted something else. Reddit users responded with a variety of options from Sam's Club's rotisserie chicken to special deals you can get when you download various fast food applications. According to Weikert Bryant, this is an example of food insecurity, when you don't have the time to cook but want a quick warm meal. I work with the charitable sector, um, and so when we're looking to serve neighbors, it will come at no cost. 
because the product that our members are distributing are either donated or from the federal government, and, and some of it is purchased, um, but it's purchased with funding donated to the charitable cause that's going on there. And so by law, typically we don't sell food simply because that would get us crossways with the IRS. And so you don't often see folks in the charitable sector providing low-cost meals or, or different options and things like that. Um, there are other ways, though, that in different places, and Indiana hasn't made this move yet, um, but looking at things like a prepared meals waiver with SNAP benefits. Um, some states have done this with restaurants. Uh, with SNAP, for example, you can't go to the grocery store and buy a rotisserie chicken because that has been prepared, but you can buy the chicken and rotisserie it. Um, you will occasionally find deli food when it's it's hitting its um, best by date that will get packaged and set out and that will become EBT eligible. But, you know, typically we know that people, and, and I think this is true for most families, I, it's certainly true for mine, you know, what is the, what is, how long is it going to take us to prepare this? It's the expediency factor um, because people are busy, they're working, they're raising children and raising families. Um, and so, you know, the prepared food isn't an option or the restaurant food isn't an option. So what's the next best thing? And often cases, that's what is quick and easy to prepare, which is usually more expensive than the raw ingredients that are being used to calculate, uh, you know, what SNAP benefits look like. You know, they look at the, the thrifty food basket and you're talking about um, individual items and you're talking about things that aren't ready prepared, right? So you're not talking about, um, you know, a frozen meal that doesn't, that doesn't factor in, or you're not talking about, um, you know, the meal packages you can buy at the grocery store and, and fix yourself. It's not talking about things that are designed for efficiency for folks who don't have that kind of time to, you know, cook from scratch, get the best deal all the time and, you know, do what they can, but it, it's the system just isn't set up that way, unfortunately. Last week, we spoke with Julio Alonso, the executive director and CEO of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. He said that rural areas see a disproportionate amount of food insecurity due to a lack of food access. Alonzo talked about the different needs of urban and rural populations when it comes to hunger. Rural areas have always been harder to serve. Um, and, and I mean, just the, the geography um, of it makes it, uh, makes it a challenge. Um, urban areas, um, you know, there's a high concentration of population in one place, and there are typically a lot of, of services available that are more readily accessible, um, either because there's public transportation um, or they're, they're within walking distance. Um, so, you know, Bloomington is a fine example of that. We, you know, we have probably 30 some odd food pantries um, just within Bloomington um, that are operating uh, under different methods. Some are faith-based, some are not. Um, some do other services as well, some don't. Um, but, you know, you, we get to a county like Brown County or Martin County, um, and there may be only five or six agencies in the entire county that are, um, that are doing those kind of services. And they're typically in the, um, the most urban um, areas within those, those counties. So it's harder for rural populations to, to get to them. Um, the answer to a lot of that is mobile pantries and 
um, and deliveries, but those are difficult to do. Many of the organizations we work with, in fact, most of the organizations we work with are largely volunteer driven. Um, so uh, there are people who are taking their own time to support these food pantries and, and um, they just don't necessarily have the resources to do those kind of, uh, of deliveries and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, pandemic benefits did uh, actually assist a lot of, of people. Um, we still saw huge increases in numbers of, of people coming to food pantries. Individual ones may have seen different trends, um, certainly. But we also noticed uh, once many of those benefits ended, um, the, the lines came back even, even longer, especially because prices were going up at the same time. So it was a perfect storm where people were losing those access to those benefits and grocery store prices were going through the roof at the same time. Baker also touched on the difference between rural and urban communities and suggested that since rural areas tend to have smaller populations, they might receive more community support. I think Brown County does take care of Brown County. And we always say that, that Brown County takes care of Brown County. They, it's small enough if you think that our entire population is less than 16,000 people, then that's not very many people to know. Mm-hmm in a big picture, you know, and certainly in Nashville, then we're, you know, even smaller yet. But um, I do think that when the call's put out, people are just there. And I have had that happen. It is so amazing to me, but I think that most people feel that they want to help, you know, our plumbers help us, our, you know, people come out of nowhere for help if you need it, or people are just there. You know, it's just a very kind world here. In in Indy, I would say, in your neighborhood, yes, mm-hmm. the same thing happens. And I would say that only because um, within, when we would start different community centers, or when we would, you know, even at Holy Spirit, if we went, had, when I wanted to start um, the program in 1995, that's a long time ago, um, everyone came together, the community came together and built that kitchen and made it happen. So that's what happened with Mother's Cupboard. I just think when the call's there and it's right, it happens. People come together. They know that it's the right thing. So eh, it would yeah. happen in Bloomington too, Indy. You know, it's just that it's, it goes down to that smaller community still, I think, because it's the connection to that space or whatever but. But it's fun because the things that we started in Indianapolis, it cracks me up, they're still there. Um, that was in 92, 93, and 94 that we started those. And all those programs are still existing, which is pretty phenomenal if you think about it. But because of Gleaner's Food Bank, they just kept it going with them, and it worked. It doesn't take much, you know, and that's what I always say. Anything you do makes a big difference. But it's amazing because Monroe County is the, it's the hardest hit county in in our southern quadrant. So even though, you know, Bloomington has, it's a vibrant community, there's still a lot of need in Bloomington as well. And I think the difference with us might be, I don't know. 
I, you know, I don't know the demographics as well as much yet, and I think in a year I would know even more. But I do think that um, there's a lot of, um, it's just people can't afford living, you know, on a day-to-day basis. That, I mean, just that's the core. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, in Brown County, residents over the age of 65 make up 26.7% of the population. Baker shared that Brown County has specific resources devoted to helping their elderly population. And then I also think that we have a large group of um, elderly that live, we have apartments that are fighting scale here for our elderly, which is amazing. I, I think our town is so cool because there's actually a place to live in Brown County that if you're elderly and you're on a social security and maybe not much else, you can actually live in a healthy space. Um, But rent is still there, and utilities are still there, and so how are you feeding yourself? And I will say that if you were there, you probably noticed a lot of elderly, because that is a big piece of the group that comes in. And we will have some ladies that will come and get five or six meals for other people in their area that can't get out. Mm-hmm. So everybody kind of takes care of everybody there. Um, that's the other half. If you're living on 700 a month, you're pretty limited. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty common. And as you age, you may not be able to get a little part-time job or something that could help you out, you know? So... What are you going to do? And so I think those are all things that um, link into the same issue. You know, it's just expensive to live. Mm-hmm. And how do we take care of that? I don't know. We, I don't know. Do we pay people more, which I think makes sense. But, um, but it's still, everything is high. But at least if it comes to food, there is an option. You can find extra food, and you can learn to deal with it. And I think part of, you know, that can help cut some of your costs. But there's a lot of other things. And there's help with utilities for people that need it. And, you know, um, help with medical and things like that. And there's a lot of great services here. In our town, it's amazing what we do have. We have senior services where they get every other second Tuesday or something, um, we have senior boxes that come out that have just a lot of different items that are um, sustainable and also they don't go bad. So, you know, you can keep them for a long period of time, peanut butter and tuna and just protein packed um, items and healthy items for people to use. And um, that's nice. But... Again, if you're only making $700 a month Mm -hmm. and your rent is four, $300 does not go very far in this day and age. According to Feeding America, nationwide, over 5 million senior citizens were food insecure in 2021. Feeding America's research shows that, quote, more than 7 million seniors could be food insecure by 2050, end quote. Furthermore, seniors of color are more likely to experience food insecurity. 
Feeding America outlines reasons why the elderly are vulnerable to experiencing food insecurity, a few reasons being health conditions, transportation problems, living on fixed incomes, and social isolation. The lack of healthy, accessible food for seniors can lead to chronic health conditions like asthma and diabetes and mental health issues such as anxiety or depression. Indiana lawmaker Matt Pierce said in an interview with the Limestone Post, quote, My experience with our population is that oftentimes it's folks falling through the cracks. Seniors become isolated pretty quickly if they're not connected to a faith community or a social group that's going to keep an eye on them, end quote. Whether it's urban or rural, Weikert Bryant shared that local solutions are not enough and that it takes federal programming to address food insecurity. So when we're working to advocate uh, on behalf of our members uh, or those who are food insecure in our communities, the bulk of the work happens really at the federal level because that's there's an economy of scale. And so when you think about the nutrition programs that help families across the country, it's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It's school meals, school breakfasts, summer meals, um, the Commodity Supplemental Program that serves seniors. There's a few things at WIC uh, for women, infants, and children. And those are all programs that are run by the federal government through the USDA that are administered at a state level. And those are the programs that really provide the most significant impact on hunger relief, mm-hmm. largely because they're they're working within existing systems, right? So the SNAP program is working on the regular rails of commerce where it's just like going in with a debit card or a gift card or a credit card using an EBT card to purchase groceries just like the rest of the community. Um, that program is is excessively efficient to run because it's not creating any new mechanisms to provide that sort of assistance. School School meals, similarly, are going to kids where they are every day. And so you're making sure that whether it's through a a paid lunch, which by the way is actually subsidized, that rate is subsidized, um, or at a reduced or a free rate, you're making sure that children are getting the appropriate nutrition that they need to be healthy and active. Um, You know, the WIC program, it's more prescriptive as to what food can be purchased because each state has their own contracts for that best rate, but it's the same thing. It's being used at retail. And so these are programs that are providing a substantial amount of assistance at really a low amount of administrative and overhead cost to millions and millions of Americans. And they can do it that way because it's it's an economies of scale. You're you're working at a much larger level. And these programs are all federal in that if you live on the state line or you live in Bloomington, but you're your visiting family in Columbus, Ohio, or or whatever that situation may be. It works across state lines, um, particularly the SNAP program, which is slightly different with more of a prescriptive aspect to it. But it's a program that you can use where you are and it's when it's convenient and, and, you know, when someone is going to the grocery store. Um, There are programs, these programs are all administered at the state level through a state agency. So for instance, SNAP is administered through the Family and Social Services Administration. WIC is administered through the State Department of Health. Um, the child-facing programs other than WIC are all run through the State Department of Education. And so they're the ones who are working with local entities, whether it's a, a food pantry or a SNAP office or a WIC office. Um, to make sure that folks are accessing these benefits. But for the most part, that's all that really occurs at the state level. 
There is some state funding in the budget every year for Indiana's food banks, including Hoosier Hills. That helps with purchase of food or um, infrastructure work to make sure that we are able to move as nimbly and as efficiently as possible. But really, there's not a lot of other funding coming from government sources. Uh, and quite frankly, to our members, to the food banks, there's really not funding coming from the federal government, but food through the Emergency Food Assistance Program. Um, our members get a small amount of what the USDA calls admin money. We call it storage and distribution to make sure that we've stored the, prop the product properly, we're moving it properly. Um, really, the bulk of these federal nutrition programs are coming directly to the household from the federal government through the state government. And that's generally where you're going to find the most efficient program use because at a municipal level, you're talking about fewer people, you're talking about higher administrative rates, things like that, to look at a, a full-blown um, anti-hunger program. It's a, it would be a very different look. According to the Bloomington Food Access Report done in 2021, Local priorities to address food insecurity are lowering food prices and raising wages, saying, quote, given that the overwhelming response from the survey sample is to lower food prices and raise wages, the first clear recommendation to the city of Bloomington and community organizations is to subsidize food costs for low-income households and incentivize living wages throughout Bloomington, end quote. Weikert Bryant said that although long-term solutions like increasing wages are necessary, she doesn't think that the need for food pantries will ever go away. You know, in an American society, the way that our society functions, there's always going to be someone who had that thing happen to them today that need help. So, you know, we kind of talk in, in food banking about food banking our way out of hunger. And I don't think that there'll ever be a day where we don't have someone who lost their job had an illness, something happened that, you know, today is an emergency for them. You've been listening to Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate. Tune in next week to learn more about how food insecurity impacts residents of Monroe County. To read the full article written by Christina Avery and Haley Miller and photographed by Olivia Bianco, visit limestonepostmagazine.com.